0: It's been one of those mornings, just technology doesn't work, so I don't know why I have my Kindle in front of me for notes, because I'm guaranteeing that will probably fail in about five minutes. Uh, but some days are like that, and I'm just uh, hoping that technology comes around and uh, we're able to get these things working uh, a little bit better. Uh, I do expect at any moment for it to start raining inside the building, again, oh, right on time. Yeah, so we are picking up again in our uh, little mini-series that we're doing, The God Who, uh, with a message entitled The God Who Loves and Judges. This originally was going to be two messages, uh, but I'm combining it into one. And I'm kind of grateful that the providence of God worked out this way because as I had begun preparing, uh, I was going to be speaking on The God Who Judges. I was kind of struggling to piece this together, and, and I didn't feel confident in where I was going. And in the providence of God, it worked out where I needed to combine these two. And it was when that happened that I really felt like it, it really came together uh, in a good way. I feel like you can't really talk about God's judgment without talking about his love. And I, I hope to uh, clearly portray that this morning. As Jesse mentioned, uh, we had Derek with us last week, and yeah, I think he really does have uh, some potential. Uh, no, it really was wonderful to have him back with us this past weekend, and uh, to see him, and uh, you know, just to fellowship with him, to hear from him. And I got the chance on Monday morning to record a couple podcasts with him. Um, so we're going to get back to our our podcasting. Um, we did a couple episodes. And uh, we'll start doing those via Zoom here in the future. So if you're somebody who's been listening to our Grace Walk podcast, that will be coming back here starting on Tuesday. So, yeah, we had a good time doing that. Um, and then I got the chance um, at some point in the last week to listen to Mike's message, The God Who Speaks. And uh, I was blessed by it and grateful for his ministry here among us as the care pastor and now as an ordained elder. And uh, I was just uh, honored to be part of that last Sunday. And so, so very glad to have Mike and his ministry here uh, and his ability to preach the word as well. is just a blessing. As he mentioned in his message, I just want to reiterate this, kind of the point of this series, uh, is to show who God is. It's to show his characteristics, his attributes, and for us to see how he interacts with us, his people. And this will help us to get to know him better. Right off the bat, I want to say there is no way in about 35 to 40 minutes that I'll be able to uh, cover everything regarding God's love or to uh, give the full picture of his judgment uh, just not possible in that length of time, uh, but you know, with with all of these things, this is kind of uh, just a piece of the picture of who God is. We're we're going to look at a few different things. I think we still have the God who redeems and the God who is present uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks. But um, we get 35 to 40 minutes to talk about God's character. Obviously, um, the 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 whole world cannot contain all of the information of God's character, so we're just getting just a brief glimpse each week. Uh, but when we look at these topics, um, especially love and judgment, as I'm talking about this morning, we often we, we often look at them very differently than the Bible talks about them. Uh, we kind of pit love and judgment against each other, and the Bible doesn't do that. Uh, we we look at this and we say, if God is a judge, then He couldn't love, and if God is love, then he would never judge anybody. And so I hope to present a balanced view uh, from the word of God to show how these two ideas work together. Excuse me. I don't know why I leaned back, because uh, the microphone's still going to pick it up. (laughs) Just habit, I suppose. Uh, But yeah, so I hope to present a balanced view on this. We'll see that God is love and that God does indeed judge and the Word of God has a lot to say on these topics, so I'm going to narrow it down for us this morning to two passages that I believe show God's love and judgment working together, and then we'll unpack God's love and His judgment and what they are and what they mean for us. So let's look at love and judgment. And the first passage we'll look at this morning is a very familiar passage uh, referenced it a few weeks ago, uh, but it's John three sixteen through 21. For God so loved the world For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever uh, does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, that you've given us in your word a picture of who you are, a picture of the things that you do. Um, more than just what we've experienced in our own lives, we, we can look at your word and see um, a better glimpse of who you are. But we do thank you that in our lives you have chosen to show us um, tangible expressions of who you are, whether it's your love or your justice or your mercy or grace. Lord, we've, we've experienced this. I ask this morning that you would just open our hearts to receive your word And uh, that we would be edified and built up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in John chapter 3, Jesus is meeting with a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, uh, which was a council kind of akin to our present-day Senate, and probably just as corrupt Uh, at times. He was a skilled theologian. Jesus called him the teacher of Israel. He came to Jesus by night to investigate his claims. Jesus explains to him about the new birth and that Jesus, the Son of Man, like Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Why? Well, he says in John 3.16, why? Because of love. Because God so loved the world that whoever believes. And that's where we often stop, right? We stop after John 3.16. But as we look at the rest of the passage, uh, we get maybe a little bit more glimpse of who God is and how love and judgment work together. Verses 17 through 18 shows us that whoever believes is not condemned, and whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in Christ. And verses 19 through 21 proceed to talk about judgment, uh, light, and darkness. Light is how John began his account of the life and ministry of Jesus in John 1, Verses 1 through 4, he wrote, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John actually uses uh, these words like light and love and things like that a lot to describe who God is. Verses 19 through 21 of chapter 3 are showing us that the reason why people would reject the good news of salvation is because they're in darkness and they love that darkness. That is our natural disposition. We're blinded in darkness and we hate the light. When God uh, shines his light of Jesus Christ into our hearts, that darkness is dispelled. And you begin to love the light. But without that work of the Holy Spirit, you reject that light. He overcomes the darkness of your heart. And he gives you a brand new living heart. But let's take a step back here. Uh, Verse 19 says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. So this is the judgment. Those who are in sin love their sin more than the light. They love their darkness. I see a connection here to Romans 1, where Paul shows us that the judgment of God is for sinners to be given over to themselves and their desires and to be left in sin and darkness. Romans 1.28 says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And if you read through Romans 1, Paul shows all sorts of those evil things that people are left to. In John three sixteen through 21, we see both the judgment of God upon those in darkness, in their sin, but we also see the love of God. We see uh, what would cause God to send his son, Jesus Christ, to bring light to the hearts of many, and that's his abundant love. What an astonishing statement that God so loved the world... When we look at the Old Testament, we see God's love for his chosen nation, Israel. But in the New Testament, we see that love uh, really for the whole world. Uh, we are Gentiles here, most of us. I, I don't know, maybe some of you have Jewish background, I don't know. But uh, those who do not, uh, we are Gentiles. God's love extended to us. Switching to paper. tell you, one of them mornings. But we see that God's love extends to to us this morning. Despite the technical difficulties, despite technology failing, God loves the world. He loves us right here in Avon, New York. He does not love technology this morning. I don't love technology this morning. Maybe that's how I should say it. The second passage that I want to look at this morning is Luke's account of the thief on the cross. Luke 23, verses 32 uh, through 43. Two others, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, the chosen one, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So again, in this passage, we see both God's love in Christ and judgment at the same time. God's love is clearly displayed in Christ going to the cross. His whole purpose for coming to the earth in the first place uh, was to die. And so we we see his love uh, directed towards us, but we also see very specifically his love directed towards the thief um, who asked that Jesus would remember him when Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. We see judgment in a few different ways here in this passage. Jesus has been judged and sentenced to death for claiming to be the Christ of God, the chosen one. The mob has judged Jesus, agreeing with the guilty verdict, um, and they are relentlessly mocking him. The thieves have been judged for their crimes, though we don't know the details of those crimes. And uh, they have been sentenced to death as well. We see the first thief incorrectly judge that Jesus, if he really was the Christ, would overturn the judgments that were passed on them. He judges Jesus as a political messiah. And uh, he, see, he asks him basically to overturn the unrighteousness of the oppressive Roman government. The second thief has judged correctly. He sees Jesus as innocent of the crime of blasphemy and accepts Jesus' identity as Messiah, the one in and through whom the kingdom will come. As well, at the center of all of this is Christ. He is receiving the judgment that we all deserved in our place, on our behalf, The penalty of sin. And then as well, Jesus is passing judgment at the same time. He has judged the thief and welcomed him into paradise. He's judged him on the basis of his love. And as the king of the kingdom, he has welcomed him in. The thief has been saved by grace. Not really anything the thief could do in that moment. He couldn't go and get baptized. He couldn't go and do all sorts of things simply based on the welcoming of the king. And so we see in these two passages uh, love and judgment tied together. We see that love and judgment are not pitted against each other. They're working in tandem. I've been reading this book um, recently by an author named Tim Perry called Funerals. And uh, it was practical information uh, that I'd been looking over um, as I was preparing for the funeral for Christina. Uh, but I've found a lot of really helpful things in this book beyond just the the practical aspects of preparing for a funeral. So this author, Tim Perry, um, has a whole chapter on judgment, and he writes, The New Testament does not supersede or overturn notions of judgment in the Old Testament, but brings them to their fullness by placing Christ where he belongs, at the center. Jesus is the justice. He overturns our false judgments by forgiving and welcoming sinners into his kingdom, both today and hereafter. This is the power and wisdom of God that confounds the wise and routs the powerful. This is good news. So as we continue to look at love and judgment, I want to look at a couple aspects of it. I want to look at the nature and work of God's love and judgment. First, God does not simply love. He does love. It's, it's an action. Uh, but it's, it's not simply just an action. God is love. It's his very nature. So we read that, actually, from another uh, book written by John. Actually, it's an epistle or a letter. Um, and that's 1 John uh, chapter 4, 7-12. through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So God is love. His nature is love. And his disposition towards us is love. Not only that, he wants us to experience the fullness of his love. Paul writes out a prayer uh, for the Ephesian church. Uh, We've recently, well, I guess recently is kind of a very... Vague statement because it was when we were in the the series on ephesians Which this might have been like eight months ago that we covered this passage. So uh, Somewhat recently we talked about this passage But it's ephesians three seventeen through 19 So that christ may dwell in your hearts through faith That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints What is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with All the fullness of god Paul's prayer, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is that we be rooted and grounded in love, that we would have strength to comprehend and to know his love and be filled with all the fullness of God. So what is the fullness of God that he desires us to be filled with? Well, it's namely himself, which is love. Basically, his prayer is that we would be rooted, grounded, knowing, and filled with the love of God. Now, when we think of God the Father, maybe often we think of um, things like his holiness, his otherness, um, that he is not like us. When we think of Jesus, we're more likely to think of his love uh, that was displayed for us on the cross. We think of the Father maybe as more distant and that he's harsh. We think of him as a judge. Well, Jesus is near and loving. And again, I don't think that Uh, That thinking is completely accurate. It's not an accurate portrayal of God the Father. If God is love, how he interacts with us is based on that love. So from love, he loves. And if Jesus is love, it's because the Father is love. In the book of John, we're referencing John a lot, we see an important conversation between Philip, one of the twelve, and Jesus. or else believe on account of the works themselves. So again, if you see Jesus as love and loving, it's because God the Father is love and is loving. In fact, we see this as an integral part of the Trinity. Author and teacher Jared C. Wilson writes, From eternity past, the Father and the Son and the Spirit have been in community, in relationship. They have loved each other. And that loving relationship is bound up in the very nature of God himself. And so at salvation, then, we are welcomed into this loving relationship that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have known since eternity past. We are welcomed in to experience this same love. And that's why love has been the motivation for all that God has done. Because from eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have experienced complete and full love. We see in Paul's writings that God the Father is the Father of mercies. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So yes, The father is perfect, he's just and righteous, but he is love and he is the father of mercies. And from him pours love and mercy directed towards us, his children. From love, God loves. It's who he is. So what about judgment? God does indeed judge and is righteous in doing so. His judgments are just. Yet judgment is not his nature. It's not his natural disposition. Jonathan Edwards and Thomas Goodwin called God's judgment God's strange work. And I want to pause just for a moment just to mention uh, that the idea of God's disposition of love and the strange work of his judgment is discussed at length in the book Gentle and Lowly, which hopefully you've grabbed your copy of. Uh, Some of the things that I'm sharing this morning come from that book, especially uh, chapters 14 and 15. So quickly, I want to look at three passages of Scripture uh, that Dane Ortland speaks of in that book. Lamentations 3.33 For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Jeremiah 32.41 I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in the land, in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. And speaking of God's act of judgment, Isaiah 28, verse 21. For the Lord will rise up as on Mount Perizim, as in the valley of Gibeon, he will be roused to do his deed. Strange is his deed and to work his work. Alien is his work. We see in these passages and others that God delights to do mercy. Mercy is from his heart. Judgment in terms of punishment, though just and right, is a strange work. He takes no pleasure in it. I hope it is clear uh, that I'm not saying that God doesn't judge or that God is not just. He does, and he is. Yet even God's judgment pours forth from his love. The most compelling case for this is seen in the death of Jesus on the cross. When from his disposition of love, God the Father passed judgment on Jesus on our behalf. So we've looked at love and judgment. We've looked at its nature and its work. Thirdly, this morning, I want to talk a little bit about assurance. In the Bible, there are many types of judgment. There's judgment on wicked nations, sinners, uh, the judgments seen in Revelation, uh, which are plenteous. Uh, The judgment seat of Christ is often where our minds go as believers. Maybe when thinking about the judgment seat of Christ, you struggled with anxiety and trepidation and fear. We as Christians are often fixated with judgment. I think perhaps one of the reasons for that is fear, uh, which is rooted in our own lack of assurance. Pietism has infected so much of our theology, which is a hyper inward focus on me and my performance and whether I've grown uh, from yesterday and the day before or last week or last year. I have to have some check marks where I can, you know, look at and see just how far I've come. We're driven by feelings of inadequacy because that's what we've been taught. We need more holiness, more works, more outdoor activities in order to secure our assurance with Christ. We, we do want to see fruit. We want to see the Holy Spirit at work. But we spend so much time obsessing over just how far I've come. If you're a believer in Christ, no matter how you feel at this moment, or how you might feel this afternoon or next week, if you're a believer in Christ, your sins are forgiven. Oftentimes, when you preach the grace of God or talk a lot about the grace of God, um, the accusation will come that you might accidentally give sinners false assurance that they're saved. And I'm not trying to convince sinners that they're saved when they're not. I'm trying to convince saints that they're saved. Because so often our feelings dictate to us, how we feel and whether we feel like we're accepted by God or not based on how I feel right now. And I've mentioned many times, sometimes it hits me when I'm in the car driving home where I start to feel like, man, do I believe anything that I just said? Do I see fruit? We all deal with this. But I want to encourage you this morning. It's not your righteousness or lack thereof that affects your standing. It's simply the righteousness of Christ. That he is freely given to you. So week after week, the goal is to see and savor Christ. He is the feast. He is the banquet that is spread before us. It's to draw our eyes off of what we have done or what we haven't done. And to fix our eyes on what he has done. Salvation. Your justification, sanctification, and your glorification is his work and not yours. You are a recipient of it. And so I just want you to know this morning how much God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit loves you. He loves you. The love of God was enough to send Jesus to the cross for you. He took the judgment in your place. Many have struggled with assurance. Many who we might consider to be influential have struggled greatly. Martin Luther, John Bunyan, John Newton, and John Owen, a lot of Johns, to name just a few. I'm sure many in this church have struggled with assurance. I can remember, I think it was 2016, 2017, for a while there... Um, I was overworked, stressed, dealing with a lot of anxiety. I had worked myself to a place where I was on heart medication because I was having heart palpitations. And I struggled at times to really know that what I was believing was true. But God is gracious. And I'm not even saying that there will be times when I won't doubt. But God's word is true and faithful And he uses you guys in our, in my life to, to remind me of the love of God. And I hope vice versa. I hope that God is using me as well to remind you of his love. John Bunyan, one of the guys I just mentioned, is known for writing the book of, the book Pilgrim's Progress. Many of you have read that book. He struggled greatly for many years with lack of assurance. He was troubled over scriptures such as God's rejection of Esau the passage of scripture that talks about the unforgivable sin. And there was a moment when he wanted to give up. He was devastated by these fears and doubts. But God broke through that darkness and gave him great comfort and assurance. And I hope this encourages you today, what he wrote. But one day as I was passing into the field with some dashes on my conscience, fearing yet that all was not right. Suddenly this sentence fell upon my soul. Your righteousness is in heaven. I thought I saw with the eyes of my soul Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There was my righteousness. Wherever I was or whatever I was doing, God could not say of me that I lacked his righteousness, for that was ever before him. Moreover, I saw that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now did did my chains fall off my legs indeed. I was loosed from my afflictions and irons. My temptations also fled away. From that time, those dreadful scriptures of God quit troubling me. Now I went home rejoicing for the grace and love of God. I love that. For my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself. I want to encourage you this morning not to fear. The Apostle John tells us in his first epistle that perfect love drives out fear. And that fear has to do with punishment. My prayer for you this morning is exactly what Paul prayed for the Ephesians which we read earlier, that the fullness of God would fill your heart, that you would experience it in such a way that it would dispel all the darkness and dispel all the lack of assurance and that you would find great comfort in the grace of God. When we stand before Christ for the believer, we can rest assured that our sins are forgiven and there is no condemnation for those of us who are hidden in Christ. In 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15, a scripture I referenced uh, just a couple months ago, Paul talks about building with gold and silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. And I like what author Tim Perry said about this passage in reference to judgment. For it is at this moment that we encounter the flame of love who consumes all that is wood, hay, and stubble, leaving only gold, silver, and precious stone. How can, when we stand before Christ, know that uh, we will not be consumed because Christ was consumed in our place. He was crucified. He died, was buried, but he rose again. And our sins are forgiven. We don't have anything to fear. Anything that we have built of our own in that moment will just be burned up. And what remains is what Christ has done. When Jesus was on the cross, he took the judgment that we rightly deserved. Judgment has fallen on him. And Paul, in the fifth chapter of Romans, explains this for us in glorious detail. I want to read verses 1 through 11 of Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. This morning, if you have not experienced the love of God, He is inviting you in. He is welcoming you. He sent His Son to die for you. He loved you so much that Jesus bore the judgment that you deserved. And so this morning, I just welcome you to believe in Christ. Your sins are forgiven. Believe in Jesus. Believe that his work was sufficient to pay for your sin. And believer, if you struggle with assurance, I just invite you to rest. Rest in his righteousness. It is enough. Remember that Jesus will not cast you out. Matthew, quoting Isaiah, writes about Jesus in chapter 12, verse 20. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. Jesus is not going to walk out on you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the death, burial, and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you that there is no condemnation left for those who are hidden in your Son. And I ask right now that you would fill your people with the fullness of your love the fullness of yourself. That we would know the breadth and length and height and depth of your love in Christ. That we, your beloved children, would grasp your love and find assurance. I pray that you would strengthen the weary saint. And I thank you for your promise to not break the bruised reed nor quench the smoldering wick. And for the sinner, Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would shine your love and light on their hearts today and create in them a new heart, that you would grant the gift of faith and repentance, that new life would spring forth and faith would awaken to believe in your Son. And it's in the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.